Yes, yeah. sir. Congratulations. All right. It's good to see you guys. Uh, we, I told this to the men's Bible study, guys. We have rented out the, uh, the Aliso Viejo, one of the movie theaters, to watch the Avengers. So it's opening night. Avengers is coming out. And uh, we have rented one theater. And if we, they said we can get a second theater. So I, I told the guys, if we sell out that one theater and we get a second theater, I will dress up like one of the Avengers and watch the movie. <laughs> Not Black Widow, but one of the other Avengers I will dress up as. Obvious candidate, the Hulk, um, would be. It's obvious, okay? Everybody's thinking it. Chris Evans, lookalike, maybe, I don't know. Um, yeah, something like that. But I will dress up like one of the Avengers if we get two theaters. So sign up, but you've got to sign up for that. It's only five bucks to go see the Avengers, which isn't bad for the normal $37 they charge you to go to the movie. So make sure you sign up. It's going to be a great time. All, all Compass guys in, in uh, movie theaters. So that'll be great. <laughs> it's funny when people post driving pictures. I don't know how they do that. I'm not coordinated enough. I'm not good to take pictures on my cell phone. But people, they, they take these pictures and they see these crazy things out when they're driving. So many different coincidences happen. Take a look at this. I got a crazy coincidence. Take a look at these two trucks. <laughs> Just a coincidence, right? Taylor Swift. There's no way those two trucks stayed together, though, because Taylor Swift doesn't stay together with any of her boyfriends. Oh, what? This is a pro-Taylor Swift crowd all of a sudden? What? Oh, you can't make fun of her. Go write a song about it. How about that? Next. Check this out. I think it's pretty cool. Mario and Luigi's, right? They didn't plan that. Just coincidences, right? Coincidence I? What? Next picture. Look at this, Cookie Monster. I don't know why the back of his says Cookie, though. I don't want to know what that's for. <laughs> and finally, isn't that the best? Stop. Hammer time. For those of you who don't get that, Google it. Just crazy coincidences, things that just randomly put together, happen to go together that way. And some people, I think, when they take a look at these verses that we're looking at, they think this is just coincidence that this one ends here and this one ends there and there's not much that's intersecting with the two. But I think there's a little bit more than just a coincidence going on on why these two verses together. I think John uh, had an intent when he was talking about it. And I want to try to show that to you tonight through some very difficult verses. So we're going to do some talking through them and I hope I'm able to answer your questions. Turn with me to 1 John 5. I don't think this is just mere coincidence. I think there's intentionality in John's mind as he's writing these verses, and from the context as a whole, and these verses put together, I think we can see that. First John chapter 5, verses 14 to 17. The Word of God says this, And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. If anyone else sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We want to talk about prayer tonight. We want to 
find out what God has for us when we speak about prayer. And prayer is a very important aspect. I think every Christian would attest to that, but I don't know if it's one that we always do well. But hopefully tonight it will be um, a motivator for you to want to get out there and to, to work on your prayer life. I hope you are never satisfied in that realm. That you take a look at your prayer life and realize that this is something for the rest of my life that I want to continually get better at. Whether it's small and incrementally, whether you're making big changes, just constantly making sure you are getting better at communicating with God. And I think this text will help us. I mean, he starts out with some great motivation, right? This is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we have whatever we ask. It sounds like prayer is going to get us a lot of things very easy. Almost easier than getting a car on the Price is Right. Did you guys see that happen recently? Uh, there was a contestant, and she was there. She had three guesses to win the car. She guessed once, and the model pulled it, and it was the wrong answer. Then before she guessed again, the model pulled the next one, and it was the right answer, and she got to guess the right answer because the model had pulled it, and she got the car that way. It was very easy to do that. Some people take these verses, and they think, well, prayer's kind of like that. It's very easy. It's just out there. I just pray what I want, and if he hears me, I'm going to get it that way. But I don't think that's what John is trying to do. So we want to do what the text is instructing us, and let's get it down number one this way. Pray with accuracy. Let's pray with accuracy. And everything, whether you're cutting your kid's hair, which I don't always do accurately. You want to aim for accuracy, okay? You want to make sure you're doing it right. And uh, the Bible here really instructs us that if we're going to pray, we need to follow the caveats that the scriptures give to us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, okay? So that's the caveat. That's the accuracy that we want to add to our prayer request. We want to find out what that means. But before we find out what God's will is, first we should talk about the God that we're praying to. Let's talk about the God we're praying to, and then we'll talk about his will. We are talking about a God who the Bible describes as a God so great and so majestic, so awesome, that he is unlike anything else. There is no one like him. And yet the Bible describes him as a God who is close and personal, or what some theologians would call imminent, meaning he dwells within us. There is a dichotomy that prayer strikes really well when we look at God that way. God, you are so great, you can do anything, nothing is impossible with you, and yet you care for me, and you love me, and you talk to me, and we have a relationship. If you aren't praying right now, maybe you are just don't pray at all, or maybe you just struggle with prayer, it might be because you have a deficiency in one of these two categories. You might think, one, God is so close to me, so near, so kind, that's all you focus on, that you don't really want to trouble God with great prayer requests or bringing in these great burdens of your heart because he's not really that great of a God. He's just here close, kind of like a warm, comfort blanket. Well, you need to change that view if that is your view because God in the Bible is the God whose will can never be stopped, who nothing that he wants to do can be thwarted. That's what Job says. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's a great God. But maybe you're coming over here and you think, wow, God, you are so great I, I can't bother you with my prayer request. Why would you even listen to me? How am I important to you? Prayer, we see, puts the two of these together. God, you are so great and inc incredible, and yet you care for me. So now I want to be praying to this God. How do we pray then? The scripture says we should pray according to his will. And the will of God is a very, very difficult subject. I'm going to throw a little uh, slide up here on the board to kind of talk about the will of God just so we know what we're saying when we're praying according to the will of God. 
When we talk about God's will in the Bible, we want to talk about it from two perspectives, okay? We have the overarching plan or decree of God that is described as God's will sometime, okay? That's Ephesians 1.11, which says, God, you work out all things according to the counsel of your will. Everything in human history is working out that way. That is your will. That is your prerogative to do it that way as God. That is your will. So that's the overall decree of God. But sometimes, Scripture talks about the will of God in the sense of, God, this is what you want me to do. This is how you want me to live. This is your desire for me as I walk in this life. And that's that, that bottom line that's very straight, that's easy and accessible to us. This is the dichotomy we have in, in God's will. And so when we come, we want to know how we're praying according to God's will. So if I come to a situation, like let's just say this one. Wesley, you know, he was born a, a week and a half late because uh, he was face presenting and we were going in there, we were hoping that he could be born naturally, just a natural birth, we wouldn't have to have a C-section. So we go into that not knowing the outcome of that, and there's no chapter and verse that says every single baby is going to be born that way and it's going to be fine. I'm going into a situation where I do not know the outcome or do I know God's will of what's going to happen, so I come in and I pray deferentially, God, I see it this way, but ultimately I want your will to be established. I am going to defer to God's decretive will. But if I come into a situation where we ended up having to have the C-section, I can't grumble and complain about that. Because the Bible says, 1 Thess 5.18, you need to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So how I pray for that is I'm not deferring to God's will, decretive in that sense. I am begging God to give me the strength to do what he's declared me to do. That's the clear will of God that he wants no matter what. So when I come to the scriptures and I'm praying God's will, I'm going to come to scenarios that I don't know the outcome and I can't pray, God, I know your will on this, so I'm going to defer, God, this is my will, but I ask not mine, but yours be done, much like Jesus in the garden. But when I come to situations like, hey, should I obey the government? Well, I'm going to go to 1 Peter and it says, be subject to the governing authorities in your life, for this is the will of God. Okay, God, you want me to do this, give me the strength to do it. So I need to figure out which perspective I'm praying from. Ultimately, I think we can work it out together this way. I'm going to put some passages up here that's going to describe what it means to pray according to God's will, and then I'll give you a definition. This will save you from ransacking prayer and making it something that is going to be used for your own. Just write down the verse references. Notice it's similar to what we heard in 1 John and what we have here. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So these are very bold, very strong, very audacious requests, but they are caveated by the Father being glorified in the Son. Next one. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So now we're getting more and more incentive to pray. When I pray, God's going to answer When I pray, God's going to hear and give me what I ask, but there's these caveats again, not just laying out a blank check for me to get what I want. It's going to be prayer according to his will, and his will is that he's glorified, and his will is that his word abides in me. Next verse, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. 
So we see that overall our ability to come to God is not because we were so great and chose God, but that he chose us. And since he chose us, we should be very humble when we ask for things, not very presumptuous. And finally, John 16, verses 23 and 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive it that your joy may be full. Okay, we're going to ask the Father in the name of the Son, which means I'm asking this because Jesus is allowing me to do it. I'm allowed to talk to God because of Jesus. And because Jesus' character would want this type of request answered. That's what I think it means to pray in Jesus' name. So overall, if we can just put this definition up there. This is a long definition of praying according to God's will. Everything we've said so far, I think, will kind of coalesce into this and making sure that we're doing this and we're praying accurately. Praying according to God's will is humbly asking the Father in the name of Christ to do great things promised in his word for his glory and deferring to his sovereign control. I think all of that is important. You could shorten that to basically being, you know, uh, deferring to God's sovereign control. That's what you could shorten this to. But I think if we can expand it with all we've learned, we're saying we're humbly asking God, according to your will, do something great for the name of Christ so that you guys are glorified because I believe your word says this and I believe you want this. And when you pray that way, I think you're praying according to God's will. It's a very hard thing to do in certain situations when we see something that we want, but if I'm, if I'm learning that deference, if I'm learning that God's in control of all things and I'm learning that he has the right to tell me what to do, and I can be in line with him and actually do things that now start to glorify him, if I begin to pray this way, my prayer life's changed from, oh God, help my family to be healthy. Okay, that's not a bad prayer request. Okay, my family is sick right now. I think three out of the five of us are sick. God, please help my family to be healthy. Is that praying according to God's will? I should pray things like, God, we would like to be healthy in order to be able to serve you better and more fully, but until then, give us the patience and humility and love to serve one another as we have this affliction. Because the Bible doesn't say you're always going to be healthy. You know, there are going to be times when the family's sick. What do you do at that point in time? You do what the Bible asks you to do. Care for one another. Love for one another. Ask for help if you need it. But don't go to God and just say, hey, make our family well. Because that's not something that he might want in that situation. Maybe he puts you sick for a reason, so that when you go to work and you're sick, people say, wow, you, you really want to work hard. Why do you want to work so hard? You want more money? No, actually, I just want to honor God with my attitude no matter what happens. Okay, now you've used an opportunity of you being sick to go serve the name of Christ. I'm not saying it's bad to pray for health. I, I do pray for health. But what is that health being used for? Is it just to feel better? Well, great. God doesn't promise that you're going to always have that but he does want you to be out there and to serve him. So let's pray according to God's will, deferring to his control and asking that he does that. I think prayer is ultimately best seen as a perspective change for us. If you are facing difficult situations, I'm telling you to pray more and more, not because I believe that your prayers are gonna go out and change the situation, but I believe they're gonna change your perspective on the situation. You'll be able to see things a lot differently. Jeremiah, I got some pictures up there. Take a look at these pictures, okay? You see that? Those are punching bags. Look at all those. Those are punching bags hanging there, and it looks, it just looks like a mess, right? Look at this. 
We can't really define what that is. It's just a bunch of punching bags hanging from this perspective. Next one. What, what, why would they hang all these punching bags there together? Perspective. I need different perspective. Oh, now, when I look at it from the right perspective, this artist took punching bags and created the face of Muhammad Ali. From the right perspective, I see this great grand plan all come together, but until then, I was looking at it from the wrong perspective. I couldn't see anything. Every situation you face each and every day, you have a chance to look at it from your wrong perspective and view it the wrong way and not know what's going on, or you can step back in prayer and say, God, your will is this, and I know you're in control, and even though I can't get every individual thing worked out right now, I see this great grand picture that I can trust you for. That is what prayer is doing for us when we pray accurately. So let's get to know the Bible more. And when I, John 15, 7, when I let his word abide in me, I will start asking for things that are correct. Do you remember James, James 4, 2? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, verse 3, because you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your pleasures. Prayer is not used to get our pleasures done, but it's used to get God's purposes done on this earth. And he's designed it that way. So let's start to pray accurately that way and see if our perspectives don't change on the situation. That's why I think John can say in this passage, we know that if he hears us, whatever he asks, we're going to get because God's going to do it for his honor and glory. Let's pray with some accuracy when we're praying. But now we got this second part, okay? Just craziness, right? If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is just pages after pages pages after pages after pages of scholarly writing on this. So I'm going to try to give you an overview and explain what I think the Bible says on this, Uh, but there might be more questions. Feel free to email me if you have them afterwards, but let's talk about why this is here, okay? Why would he put this right after he says, whatever we ask, we know that he hears us, okay? Let's talk about what life and death mean. There's different views, okay? I think the Roman Catholic view um, with sins is uh, venial sins and mortal sins. There's venial sins you can be forgiven of. Mortal sins are bad sins unto death and you cannot be forgiven for those sins. Okay, I don't think that that's what this text is talking about. Um, More evangelical or more Protestant views are, this is talking about physical life and death. And you can think of passages, I'm sure, in the pages of scripture where you've seen people in Christian communities killed because they were in sin. Two of them, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 Remember when they're at the communion table? He says, you guys are abusing the communion table. Some of you are sick. Some of you have died. Okay, they're, they're abusing God's communion and they ended up dying. Or Ananias and Sapphira, you could say. Acts chapter five. Remember they lied against the Holy Spirit and they died that day because they, they, they lied, okay? Is that the sin that's leading them to death? I don't think that this passage is talking about physical life and physical death. I think it's talking about spiritual life and spiritual death. Let me show you how I got to there. Turn with me to verse 11 of this chapter. Just start listening for the word life leading up to the context and see what I think John is talking about. Verse 11 of chapter five says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. Okay, well, John seems to be concerned with eternal life. And this life, again, eternal life, is in the son. Whoever has the son has life. What type of life? Eternal life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that you have eternal life. So five mentions of the word life right before this section, all talking about eternal life, undisputed. 
So you're going to have to show me something in the text that's saying John is now concerned with physical life and death. I don't, I don't think that he is. He's concerned with spiritual life and death. So then what is this text talking about? Okay, Raise your hand if you've heard of or ever thought of the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Spirit. You guys thought about that before? If not, just get ready to have your minds just go all over the place, okay? Christians sometimes get very worried and very freaked out. Well, I read this. There's an unpardonable sin. Jesus said, cannot be forgiven. Um, I want to I try to help you a little bit and show why I think what is going on here is similar to what's going on there. But let's go all the way back to Numbers 15. Flip in your Bibles to Numbers 15. Let me show you something. <clears throat> Numbers 15. Numbers chapter 15, we have Moses writing, and at the end of this, just this very, um, very unique phrase, after all we've learned about God. You read the book of Leviticus, God says, if you offer this sacrifice, you will be forgiven. If you offer this sacrifice, you will be forgiven. But now in Numbers, he says this, Numbers 15, verses 30 and 31. Notice what he says. But the person who does anything with a high hand whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person will be cut off from among the people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be cut off and his iniquity shall be on him. Okay? So what I see is that there is a category, at least in the Old Testament, where all these other sins get forgiven, but a sin with a high hand. And you can picture the person who is arrogantly shaking their fist at God, saying, God, I don't want to do what you tell me to do. I'm reviling your word. I don't believe you are who you say you are. I'm going to do my own thing. That would be a description for me of what unbelief is. I think we wrongly pit unbelief in the Bible as just being ignorant of the things of God. No, unbelief, you do it when you know God and you choose not to believe him. You suppress the truth then and you choose to follow after a lie. And that's what I think is being described there in the book of Numbers. A person who says, God, I know what you want to do, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. God says that his iniquity is upon him. He can't find forgiveness for that. So now think about Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, where he starts talking about the unpardonable sin. Okay, he says, every sin, every iniquity committed against the son, that'll be forgiven. But blasphemy of the spirit, can't forgive it. Okay, so now I see another category in the New Testament that there seems to be a sin that I can commit that won't be forgiven. Well, that's strange when I read the rest of the scripture and God's saying, if you come to me, I won't cast you out. I'll forgive anything that you do. You just must come to me in repentance and faith. Okay, then we get to this passage talking about spiritual life and spiritual death. What do you think that that means? I think that the sin unto death is unbelief. You cannot receive life if you remain in unbelief. That is why you and I are instructed not to pray for the person who's committing the sin unto death. Because God can't save that person if they choose not to believe in him. If they willfully say after all the revelation they've received, all the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they've gotten, everything has been laid out in front of them. Once they get to that point and they say, I don't want that, I don't want your God I have now committed the sin of unbelief and I, I can't be forgiven for that. Listen to Jesus' words in John, I believe it's 8.24. John 8.24. He said this, you will die in your sins. Why? Because you do not believe. I see I can get life if I believe, but I will die in my sins if I don't believe. 
So the qualification there is belief. That is why I think this text is talking about spiritual life and spiritual death. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, that means they're sinning. They don't disbelieve in God, but they're sinning. Let's, let's pray for that brother. And let's let that brother get eternal life later on. God will give him life. Those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Don't pray for that sin. God can't forgive someone who doesn't believe in him, and he won't do that. So this is why I think now we put the two texts together. We have confidence that God will always hear us, and we know what types of sins he will forgive, and the only sin that he won't forgive is unbelief, Now we're welding the two of them together. God, will you please save that person if they put their faith in you? That's where we're putting these two of these things together. I can never say, God, my unsaved family member is so angry against you. Save them in spite of that. I can't pray that way because God won't forgive that person who will not believe in him. Now we bring this all together. Let's get point number two this way. Let's pray for spiritual life. If I know that the only way that anyone ever gets saved is through faith, then what I need to pray for is that God would give life to those people who don't believe. God, you need to give them life so that they will believe in you. Pray for spiritual life for people. Faith is an important thing. Romans 14, 23, uh, whatever is not from faith is sin. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. Jesus, like I said, you will die in your sins if you do not believe. God is so unglorified when we don't believe in him, but he is so glorified when we do believe in him. The sin of unbelief is so damning that it sends people to hell. And this is where I think you and I need to put this together. Uh, For those of us who have kids in the room, I understand that we need to live a good life, we need to set a good example, We need to teach the gospel to them and we need to be in prayer that that makes an impression on our kids. But ultimately, what is going to save them? It won't be because I was such a great dad, okay? I want to be faithful. I need to be faithful. I have to be faithful. But what will be the reason they get saved is if I come to God and say, God, please don't let my son commit the sin of unbelief. Please don't let him be angry against you. Please don't let him rebel against you. Please let him come to spiritual life. I hope you pray more and more with your spouse for the salvation of your kids because of hearing a message like this. Do you think about that? I mean, I'm holding my sons, these three precious boys, and God, please don't let them choose paths that run from you. Please don't let them go the route of unbelief, not only because I know it will defame your name, but because it will destroy them here in this life. God, you must do that. You can only do the internal work that I desire to go on in them. That better be a prayer request. You and your spouse are praying together individually, but together. Because what you pray about is really what you care about. And what you care about will be what you pray about. And if you don't think that that, the salvation of your kids is important, then I don't know what we're doing here. I mean, we want our kids to come to know God. So yes, we need to teach them. Yes, we need to share the gospel with them. Yes, we need to show them all these things. But ultimately, we're saying, God, will you please deliver them? Will you please keep them from committing that that sin? This is where I think God is instructing us to use prayer in order to get, I mean, we're talking about getting saved, sending out laborers for the harvest. Are you praying for those people that you're going out for? God, you must be the one who gives life. I cannot give life to this person. You must do it with the gospel message. 
And then when we see things like this, now we can go to God and say, wow, God, you are very, very incredible. As for the brother, it says, you know, who sinning unto death, don't pray for that one. But all wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. And I believe there was homework questions that you talked about that not only do I want to pray for somebody, a believer who's not sinning unto death, but we want to be able to help them a little bit more, and we'll discuss that in the group to come. But I want to use prayer for God's will. God's will is that people would come to his saving faith through belief, and ultimately that is the thing that is going to get them to spiritual life. So let's be praying that for our kids. Let's be praying that for our unsaved family members and friends. And let's pray that so God will be glorified. Let's pray now. Father, we do want to come to you accurately as your word has delivered uh, to us. And we do want to pray, God, uh, that you would be glorified because of the salvation of people in here. If we ever come and think, God, that we did enough in order to raise ourselves from death to life, we would be fools knowing that you gave us the resurrection we needed in order for us to become Christians. And because of that reality, we should come humbly and ask, Father, that you would do the same to other people. God, will you give us the heart to pray that way? Will you help our prayer requests to match that, not just for our own physical needs, God, but for your ultimate glory and for your kingdom. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.